Hello and welcome to this week's episode of What a Scream. I am your host, Green, and on this podcast we chat about horror films that have to do with a particular subject or topic that I have previously randomly chosen and myself and my special guest of the week pick two films, one each, uh, that have to do with that topic. So this week is all about gore and the goriest horror that we could think of. Um, a lot of the time, gore is a very divisive issue when it comes to horror. Some horror fans are like, you know what, people rely far too much on blood and gore nowadays and not enough on true fear, whereas some people don't feel like they're getting their money's worth without, you know, a few head choppings and Italian eyeball gouging but I am very much in the middle I enjoy both sides I enjoy a lot of gore I'm very into gore funnily enough I didn't get as heavily into gore until I had my child which is kind of weird it's kind of a weird take um my boundaries used to be hostile and it's the Achilles tendon scene but since I had my child I have gone much further down into the iceberg of horror. Uh, So this week my guest is Brian McCauley and we are going to be chatting about two films that we feel really hit the mark when it comes to gory horror. So we are chatting about 1992's Brain Dead aka Dead Alive directed by Lord of the Rings director himself Peter Jackson and we are also Going French with the film Inside, a.k.a. A l'Intérieur, from 2007, directed by Julian Maury and Alexandre Bustillo. So enjoy this episode on gore. So I would like to welcome to the podcast for the very first time, Brian McCauley. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Um, and I'm so sorry. This is super early in your half of the world. I'm it's so great. sorry. <laughs> no, I'm an early riser. And as I said before, uh, I'm going to be super caffeinated. So yeah, people may have to listen to me at half speed to slow it down, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's me generally anyway. Even when I haven't got caffeine, I talk really fast. I think it's just that Irish thing if we talk too fast so if I talk too fast please tell me to slow down (laughs) um so would you like to introduce yourself for the listeners and let them know what you do yeah absolutely my name is Brian McCauley um I am a film and tv writer uh based in Los Angeles California and so I've written a handful of psychological thriller films for Lifetime Network uh one indie thriller uh called Dismissed with Dylan Sprouse that is on Amazon Prime right now I've also wrote an episode of Fuller House, which is less relevant for this podcast. <laughs> um, and most recently, I'm I'm excited that I've uh, my debut horror novel, Curse of the Reaper, will be published on October 4th. Um, and that tells the story of an aging horror film actor who played a slasher icon in the 80s and is now uh, getting kicked to the curb as they reboot his franchise. So as he fights to reclaim his role, his mind starts to meld with the monster a little bit. So very much an homage to horror films and especially gore, gory slashers. 
That sounds absolutely fascinating. I'm really that I can't wait for that to come out. I'm going to read it. That's going to be my you. the month. Um, I always I have like a to be read pile, so I'm going to look out for that one. Thank um, you. So, no problem. So, how did you get into horror? And do you remember the first horror film you ever saw? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it started for me with books. You know, like the the mm. Goosebumps books, and then also shows like Are You Afraid of the Dark? I think mm. a lot of the the youth horror stuff helped prime me. But definitely, like proper horror, I have my older brother Steve to thank. Um, he was definitely my gateway. Uh, I have a distinct memory of he had friends over once and. They were in the basement watching Jason Goes to Hell on VHS. <laughs> and I was at the at the top of the stairs, like opening the door and peeking down to, to watch a few scenes and being scared and running away and then running back. Um, and even back then, I knew I was like, wait a second, where's Jason? Isn't there supposed to be a guy with a hockey mask in this movie? Um, but then, yeah, I think I think Evil Dead was the first movie that he gave me on DVD. And that's the one that was a big gateway for me I was just like I didn't know you could do this in movies um, yeah that's really funny because like I I didn't have that sort of introduction to horror but I was the introducer to uh, my little sister and funnily enough it was the evil dead that I showed her oh. first and she was so young like I look back and I'm like what now that I'm a mother I'm like what were you thinking she was like 10 years old 11 years old and I showed her evil dead and the scene with the tree she was like I don't understand what's going on and then I was like oh shit <laughs> like I shouldn't have shown her this <laughs> <laughs> You're like I'm not going to try to explain yeah. it it's so important <laughs> I feel like it is and I think you had mentioned this on, a, on an episode recently about how it is this thing that gets passed down in families. Like mm. there's always someone in the family who's like, check this out. You might be into it and yeah. it be can be so formative. But it's interesting that Evil Dead was also the specific film. I wonder what about yeah. it is so. I think, yeah. you know what? It's so, it's it's kind of a say, like strange way of saying it, but it's such an accessible film. It's yeah. not like heavy on the story so it might go over someone's head it's very like in your face it's very like this is horror it's outward horror it's gore it's grossness like I just think it's such a great introductory film that's so true it has all of the element I mean I feel like that's why Cabin in the Woods was modeled on it so much of that whole just like okay you go to a cabin with your friends there's a thing in the basement that you really shouldn't read but you read it and that's how you get into trouble like it just hits those beats <laughs> so wonderfully <laughs> And what influenced you to begin uh, writing? That's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, both reading and writing horror excited me and I just started having, it inspired my own ideas. And I remember in high school, I wrote my first short story and it was a zombie story. And I always feel like I need to say like, I was into zombies before they were cool <laughs> and before The Walking Dead. Um, back when I had to like hunt down a VHS of Lucio Fulci's zombie movies um but yeah I wrote this zombie short story and of all people it was my Spanish teacher who read it and, and mm. gave me encouragement um and I just yeah loved movies and just went that route to write more movies and now I'm coming back around to wanting to write uh novels and short stories it just uh the idea of like creating that experience for other readers and mm. viewers the way that I experienced it is such such a joy yeah I'm always so impressed by people who write horror because like I do film journalism obviously but I just I couldn't 
imagine and I'm always so in awe of people that have the ability to create such horror from words because horror is such like it's such a visual thing really but to be able to create that from words I'm just I'm so impressed by people that can do that oh thank you I mean it it is it's a funny thing where I I sometimes forget what I'm doing and and once I pass it off to somebody else to read and they will be like, that was really fucked up. Or like that ending, like I did not, that was a terrible thing to read before bed. And I was like, oh, I forgot that like, yeah, there's some, there's some dark stuff in there. Cause to me, it's just like second nature at this point. Yeah. Um. So I guess, which kind of leads nicely onto our subject for this episode. So I pulled out the subject of gore. Um. How did you feel when I approached you with this topic? I felt, uh, a lot of responsibility like this feels like a really big topic in horror mm. um and it also definitely when i was first getting into the genre especially in movies gore was my my sort of north star i feel like yeah. um it was i was always seeking out like the most wild death scenes i could and and again this is you know back in my day uh before netflix uh DVDs were barely a thing. When I was in high school, Dawn of the Dead was not yet released on DVD, um, mm-hmm. the Romero film. And I remember a friend in high school drove an hour to South Jersey to a rental shop that actually had it because, of course, Blockbuster didn't carry it and yeah. drove back and gave it to me and was like, you have to watch it tonight so I can drive back tomorrow to return it in time. <laughs> uh, so I remember watching and just having my mind blown of just like the creativity and to be able to see things that like you're normally not supposed to see in movies Mm. um, that really sent me on like, yeah, I mentioned like Lucio Fulci and watching those obscure, those more obscure films um, that now like you could just go on YouTube and watch, watch the clip of, of the zombie fighting the shark or the (laughs) wood shard going into the eyeball and that's it. But back then it was like, you had to sit through a whole 90 minute movie of with, with minimal story involved just to, hope that there would be one or two of those kills that made it worthwhile to see the practical effects like oozing you know yeah I guess it's like a lot of horror fans journey is that when they're younger like you said the North Star you you want all that gore you're like oh if it's not gory it's not a horror film like you're such assholes when you're kids but you're like you know I mean stuff like the innocence and anything that's a bit more psychological or like supernatural kind of goes over your head a lot as a as a teenager or a young horror fan because all you want is the gore because that's what you equate well I guess especially with our generation that's what we equated as horror because we weren't as used to it as perhaps the newer generations are because now like you said they see everything on YouTube um you can literally go find execution videos like real life execution videos and that was completely foreign to our generation and before because we didn't have that exposure. So, of course, we were always like, the most fucked up thing ever is watching someone get their head smashed in and all the brains going flying. Oh, it's so true. I think that that's, that is, it, it makes so much sense that that is a common journey for people. And, and definitely for me now, like psychological horror is my sweet spot, both as a writer and a viewer and as a reader, because that to me is much scarier and more haunting I feel like you hit a certain age and the existential dread clicks in and that becomes the 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 scarier outlet but I feel like when you're younger it's the the visual element of yeah I've seen but I do wonder if it is a generational thing if if younger folks now uh 
because they have that access if gore is still the 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 inroad in but yeah yeah perhaps if i talk to like a few 20 year olds and be like what's yes. what's your level of gore here um so let's begin with the choice uh your choice of movie would you like to introduce it and give us a brief synopsis please yes so i chose the 1992 peter jackson film dead alive also known as brain dead in some territories uh and it tells the story of lionel uh you could basically picture the setup of uh psycho um mm-hmm. but if but if norman bates's overbearing mother was still alive um and lionel uh has a, a sort of star-crossed lovers encounter with paquita who works at the local grocery shop um, and his mother is not happy about it. And then his mother gets bitten by a Sumatran rat monkey, I believe is what it's called. Yes, yes. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that kicks off the zombification uh, that starts to spread through the whole town as Lionel tries to kind of contain it and maintain his relationship with Paquita. Uh, that's kind of the, the thrust of the what what there is of a plot, I suppose. Yes, uh, it is, as you said, directed by Peter Jackson during his uh, splatter phase, as they like to call it. So he'd previously done Basket Case, he now did Brain Dead, when he was still kind of a small-time New Zealand indie filmmaker and director. You know, this was before Lord of the Rings, before King Kong, which is hilarious. Like, whenever you think of Peter Jackson, you do think of, like, Oscar-winning massive productions and then you know you go to someone who knows him from that and be like watch this (laughs) this is peter jackson (laughs) (laughs) so true and it's it's wild because my you know my experience was i saw it before lord of the rings came out so it was like i was like wait the guy who did dead alive is making lord of the rings and i feel like that set up false expectations for what i might see in the (laughs) lord of the rings movies (laughs) Um, yeah just just a little bit just a little bit (laughs) i mean and what a director he is because if you look at like the the credits it's like peter jackson director writer actor special effects model maker he's he's such a full-on hands-on director and it really shows in in brain dead or dead alive Oh, totally. It does feel like he's in there, you know, in the blood and the muck and just like <laughs> there's you can you get that like sense of play and creativity and that. I mean, I just can't imagine what it must have been like working on that film because it's all all practical effects like it must mm. have just been <laughs> such a messy, messy process. Um, so messy. I mean, yeah. apparently it held the record for quite a while for like the most blood used like the most fake blood used on a movie production it was something crazy like 300 gallons of blood was used or something like that i'm trying to find it yeah 300 liters of fake blood was used whoa wait so what overtook it i'm trying to that is a very good question actually (laughs) because i think i have heard this and i'm like well blood is one thing but do you yeah do other films have sentient organs crawling across the (laughs) the ceiling (laughs) no it still holds the record there we go it still holds the record for the most fake blood ever used in a film that's impressive and like it does make sense um so i guess we now have to talk about the gore um what are your thoughts on the viscera 
that is on display in this film. I mean, so I was so excited, you know, when, when you give the topic of gore, this was the first choice for me. And but also I haven't seen it probably in the last 15, 20 years. Um, so I was excited to revisit it and see how it held up. And I, I don't think there's ever been a film on the gore front quite like it. And I don't think there ever will be at this point because it's just practical effects aren't used to this extent anymore. Mm. Um, so it was, it was a, a delight to revisit and see, um, especially in the big finale, the, there's, it culminates in this big party that is just, I kept, for, I forgot how long it goes on for and yeah. that how many, how many set pieces there are. Um, yeah. And I remember before I ever saw the film, like I, I was scared to watch it because when I was younger, because some of the imagery I remember on the VHS cover was the hand going through the back of the head and coming out mm. of the mouth. And that was a haunting image until you watch the movie and it's like, oh, it's, it's a comedic film and it's actually not that scary. But yeah. man, some of the practical effects are really impressive. I, I still am pretty in awe that they pulled it all off. Yeah, I mean, like yourself, I haven't seen it in 10 years, I think. And it's 30 years old this year. And wow. it's still it still has the effect on me that I gag through. I mean, there's a particular scene that um, so Lionel, his mother has turned into this gross zombified thing. But she has invited the head of the Women's Institute and her husband over for lunch. And they're sitting down and she spurts this like bloody pus into a bowl of custard. And every time I'm like, like anything to do with pus and food, I'm just, no, I'm out of there. And then there's a bit where there's like another corpse. And for some reason, Lionel's like, I'm going to feed these corpses custard. And he like (laughs) chokes back this person's neck and you can see the custard going down their throat and oh, no, not able for it. It is definitely, you know, you can feel that sense that Peter Jackson's like, I just want to gross you out. I just want to do as much gross gross as I can. Uh, and I actually wrote in my notes, damn fine custard, because that <laughs> that scene stood out to me as well as the man who's, who has that line. And then it and then his mother's ear falls off into her yeah. custard and she eats her own ear. And I laughed out loud, though, in the in the zombie uh, dinner table scene when when the the greaser character shoves the spoon into his mouth and it goes out the back of his head and then the mom goes over and snatches the food off the spoon and he starts crying like a baby and i I mean uh it, 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 it has this great ability to like like it's got this great uh, balance between comedy and gross out horror because it is so fucking funny. Like there's a bit where the zombified uh, nurse and the priest start having sex at the table and he (laughs) impregnates her and out pops this little zombie baby who is like, he's such a fucking trouble starter. And it's just hilarious. (laughs) It's so fucking funny. Yeah. The baby at the park sequence is like a standalone (laughs) like monty python slapstick just out of control sequence that i i remembered it and i was excited to see it again and it again it 
it was more than I <laughs> remembered. <laughs> Especially because there's some intercuts where it's clearly a like a a person in a costume for some shots. Yeah. Like it's a puppet in some shots, and then it's I don't know if it's a child in a costume or what, but it ad- it just adds to the uncanny element. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and Timothy Baum, he's such as Lionel. He's he's just got this great comedic kind of acting and he's just he's so funny but he plays it so deadpan and it's just I mean and it's pure physical comedy as well like pure physical without getting too ridiculous I mean it is utterly ridiculous but it's not to the point where you you're being taken out of the film and it's just it's just amazing like I love this film I don't know why it took me so long to rewatch it because I love this film yeah no it really is like pure delight and I agree his performance sells so much of it because it that that's what really opens the audience up to enjoy it in that way because he's he's just navigating as best as he can he's this sort of like hapless character who yeah I was just like oh mom uh and the physical comedy is he yeah his his physical performance is so great throughout it Mm. I want to ask you, so the opening scene is like the New Zealand flag and we're shown the queen on a horse and then we are transported to Skull Island, hilariously enough, which King Kong, obviously, later on in Peter Jackson's career. Um, And these white explorers are trapping this Sumatran rat monkey and even though the uh, indigenous peoples are like, no, leave it alone bring it back what do you think peter jackson was possibly saying with those the both of those scenes in the intro yeah that that's a good question i one thing i noticed watching it this time around was like the film definitely falls into some some tropey territory uh mm-hmm. and in this case like the yeah the 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 white person going in to a uh an indigenous culture and and doing something they aren't supposed to do and therefore, you know, taking back with them like a curse of some kind for, for lack of a better word. Um, and it was, I, I feel like it was intentional, especially because the white man pulls out a submachine gun. Uh, <laughs> so it feels like it's intentionally heightened to the point of like how over the top it is. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that, you know, this film was made in 92, but it's set in 50, 1957. Mm. Uh, and throughout, there's definitely overt racism and overt misogyny. I mean, the uncle character is hard hard to watch. Um, yeah. But then there are times when I'm like, I don't know if this is intentional or if it's just a little bit behind the times for 92 as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult to kind of gauge its tone a few times i mean i definitely think peter jackson was trying to say something about colonialism um Mm -hmm. especially british colonialism of places like new zealand where the indigenous population was kind of shit on by white settlers um but yeah but then it doesn't really seem to me it doesn't really seem to pick back up that theme later on it's like oh it sets it in the beginning and then it's like bye um so yeah, sometimes it's quite difficult to gauge the tone of the film and what the underlying subtext is. Um, so right. what do you think are Brain Dead's influences? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, 
I mentioned Psycho. That's definitely mm. feels like the framework for Lionel and his mother. Um, and instead of her being a psychological manifestation, she's a zombie. Um, I, yeah, I, and I think it, it felt like, like Monty Python and, and sort of slaps other more physical slapstick comedy influences mm-hmm. were present. Um, I think Evil Dead yeah. certainly had, had a big influence, um, both in terms of the gore and the sort of borderline comedy element mm. and also the visual storytelling of of Sam Raimi there's yeah. there's definitely a sort of Venn diagram between Peter Jackson and, and Sam Raimi's directing styles I think in in yeah in this film and Evil Dead yeah I 100% agree with you on the Evil Dead that's one thing that I picked up as well when I was watching this again um and just the characters of kind of you know Bruce Campbell's Ash and then Timothy Balm's Lionel you know, there's a bit where Lionel pulls out the lawnmower to kill the hordes of zombies. And that's pure ash, like with yeah. the chainsaw, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, true. it was it was very kind of obviously Evil Dead inspired. Um, so would you recommend Brain Dead or Dead Alive to horror fans? Absolutely. I think it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one to say like you have to watch this movie if you're a horror fan, but. This is one where if you really enjoy gore, um, again, there's there's one that's it's it's one that there's just not one quite like it in terms of how far it goes. Um, just know that it's it is a comedy. Uh, it's 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 a sort of gross out comedy more than it is a scary movie. And uh, you know, there's a priest who kicks ass in the name of the Lord. Um, so <laughs> prepare yourself for that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so definitely recommend. Yeah, I I think it's one of those great films that you can throw on with a bunch of mates and watch it and just have a laugh. And it's a good time. It's not too deep. You know, it's not something like A24 where you're going to come away with questioning your reality and your existence. It's just pure fun horror. Um, and I really love that about some movies. Yeah. And also... I think it's great because you can definitely see how it's influenced films like uh, Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And it's great to see that kind of through line from brain dead to modern day stuff as well. That's a really good point. I feel like that's on the, the other side of the, the Sam Raimi to Peter Jackson mm. to, to Edgar Wright is those really strong visual directing choices yeah. combined with the, with the uh, comedy horror elements and the gore. Yeah. So let's move on to my choice. Going from the ridiculous and the hilarious to not really hilarious at all. (laughs) (laughs) So I chose the 2007 French horror film Inside, a.k.a. A l'intérieur, directed by Julian Maury and Alexandre Bustillo. Um, it stars Alison Paradis as a pregnant woman who has survived a car crash that ultimately killed her husband. And she's making kind of preparations to give birth the next day, which is going to be Christmas Day uh, because her, her baby's quite overdue. So she goes home and during the night, uh, this stranger knocks at her door. And first she uses a ruse that she needs to telephone to help for help. But then Sarah's like, no, my husband's asleep. And this stranger who is a woman says, I know your husband's dead, Sarah. Um, 
So Sarah rings the police, but unfortunately they can't find this woman. And once the police leave, the woman then breaks in and attacks Sarah and basically kills everyone and anyone that comes into the house to try to help. Um, What do you think of Inside? I love this film. I was really excited when you chose it um, because it pairs so well as a totally different approach to gore. And Mm. I vividly remember seeing it for the first time. And this one I did rent from Blockbuster because it was under this Dimension Extreme label. So it was actually the unrated DVD that they carried. And I remember renting it and just like it wrecked me. I was just like, holy shit. It is a nonstop and I also appreciate that it's only like 80 minutes. So it's really, mm. to, pardon the, the pun, but like all the fat is trimmed away for sure. It's just like <laughs> lean, just like pure adrenaline mm. pumping horror. And yeah, the gore feels yeah. very, very real compared to Dead Alive. It feels like yeah. very, you, you feel it in your body. Yeah, I mean, it is an attack on all senses. Um, Every body part you could ever possibly think of is attacked in this film. And it's just, like you said, it's completely different from Brain Dead. Brain Dead is kind of pussy, gory, but you can see that it's, you know, practical effects. Whereas this, you're like, holy. I mean, there's a bit where uh, Sarah gets her hand stabbed through with a pair of scissors. And I was watching this scene and I was just like, how did they do it? How did they do it? Because it actually just looked so real. That I was just yeah. like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> there's just, yeah. it's it's just so punchy. And like, it's, I mean, it's from the, the French New Extremity movement. So, you know, it's going to be like in your face. Um, so what did you think of La Femme, who is the antagonist? I mean, it, I love the the kind of creeping dread of those the opening that you mm. described, right? Of the little like, wait, how does she know my name? And then she's at the window, and punches, uh, in the darkness. I what I noticed about her this time around was like the theatricality of her yes. characters, um, and in that sense that like is is that part of her? Is she wanting to? to terrorize in addition to, you know, the very clear goal that she's here for, because mm. she's wearing this very impractical outfit that is right. a black yeah. a black corset and then the long flared sleeves, which if you're planning on doing a four C section, like you don't want hanging <laughs> cloth from your <laughs> wrist. Not at all, no. But, but then they play into like there are multiple times when she slides her weapons into her sleeves. Yeah. It's like it's part of her yeah so it 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 was interesting because I was like is that the director's going a little over the top in terms of again like it's not very practical or is it part of the character who like she's really going full tilt into like I want to strike terror and I am embodying like a, mm. a nightmare character here which I really enjoyed yeah for me she's a very gothic character like typically of gothic tradition and she reminded me a lot of you know the woman in black for some reason that just popped into my head and it was the way originally when we're introduced her she's standing outside sarah can't see her face um and there's another scene where sarah after the police have gone initially she sat on the sofa and we see this really dark shadow behind her and all we can see is this like slightly lightened face 
And it's so fucking creepy and it's so gothic ghost story. But then it kind of takes a bit of a switch and she goes full on slasher. Yeah. Like this is full on 80s slasher. That's a really good point that that is a switch that happens because it is super gothic, super kind of haunting ghost element of like the the shadow in the window, the one in the background. And then once she's once she's inside, it totally takes that turn um, into just more like visceral, like, nope, she is here and she is physically in this space. Yeah, I mean, fucking hell. Like, so so I was watching this again, like and. You know, obviously when I do the podcast, I really take notice and take notes. And it's just, it's just nonstop from that very first moment where she attacks Sarah with scissors while she's in bed asleep. Like she just stabs her in the stomach. Um, It's nonstop. And every person that comes into the house, we've got uh, Sarah's chief editor. We've got her mother. um, We've got policemen. And she goes for the jugular, like it is unrelenting. Yeah, it is literally, like you said, like nonstop from that moment, uh, from the first incision. And I yeah. I was, I, you know, I hadn't seen it in so long that I forgot the order of events. And I loved, you know, when the boss comes over and there's that tension of him looking at yeah. the photo and you're like, is he going to piece it together? And the fact that the Sarah's mother comes in and interrupts that is yeah. so great too. Because then it's like, oh shit, there are two people now. Like this yeah. guy more complicated it's not a one-by-one situation anymore Mm. and the way that that unfolds is like so shocking yeah and there's just no reprieve like you know we get (laughs) we think okay finally she's gonna get some help from these police officers and i don't know whether they're a shit police unit they just cannot get their shit together how does this one woman keep getting one over on them (laughs) (laughs) how does this happen I know it's those sleeves. She's got, she's literally got <laughs> tricks up her sleeves. That's how she tricks everyone. Um, but yeah, the visceral, the, a question I had was, do you think this is the most kind of iconic and consistent use of scissors in a horror film? Cause I was trying to think of other films, you know, this is her, her uh, weapon of choice for sure. And I can't think of another horror film where the scissors were like the thing. But this, I these are, and these are not, yeah. Us, there was the the scissors oh, in us. Yep. Um, and in I don't know if you've seen Lars von Trier's Antichrist, but the the woman from Antichrist use doesn't she use scissors to like cut her own clit off? So they're they're the only two that are popping up in my head. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, scissors, man. Like I have a lot of scissors. I I sew and cut a lot of fabric. I have a lot of scissors around. Maybe I should be locking them up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the and if, if they are, you know, these giant silver foot long mm. ones like the one she has, man. I mean that and then of course the the knitting needles, which I feel like have a, yes. a long history in, in horror movies. Whenever you see knitting needles, it's, yeah. it's, they're they're going into somebody. Oh god, yeah. What what do you think is uh, this question has just popped into my head. What do you think is the the kind of the symbolism behind perhaps using the what seems to be fabric scissors and knitting needles which traditionally are used for feminine i use that in quotation marks because you know right. we're not going to apply gender roles to craft here but typically feminine craft 
Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I think it's a good question. I think to me, like it, uh, the first instance that I can think of is in Halloween, which certainly is, is like an iconic final girl element of like, mm. she, uh, her conquering Michael Myers with the knit, you know, the knitting needle that, yeah. that then gives him the eye scar that becomes iconic. Um, yeah. I do think there is an element of that old, sort of trope of the the female character and empowering yeah. herself to kill the, the masculine killer. Um, but it's interesting in this film that it is, it is, it is two women doing battle uh, mm. over, over a, ch- a child within. Um, but yeah, I, did, I hadn't thought about the scissors as well as being, as being part of that, that iconography. Yeah. yeah I mean, obviously uh, the filmmakers said they wanted to do a slasher, but, turn it on its head gender wise um but I, I can't really gather I mean the only symbolism I can gather behind it is that like motherhood and pregnancy and birth is terrible and bloody and <laughs> kind of a fight <laughs> a fight for those with uteruses so that's kind of the only symbolism I can kind of get behind uh this film Maybe I need someone else to kind of read into it for me. Um, <laughs> so what yeah. what do you think is like the larger subtext behind Inside? Yeah. I, I, well, one thing I noticed this time was the nightmare that she has before, mm. that Sarah has before the woman shows up. Um, and, you know, at first blush, it's just to plug in like some horror before the horror gets started, right? Which yeah. is a common thing, like throw in a nightmare. But I noticed it more this time the way that it's she's puking milk and then the baby erupts from her mouth and i was like oh this is actually not just a throwaway horror nightmare this is actually uh her anxiety about having the child and the milk is is emblematic of that and i thought that that was that that actually stood out to me as a as a nice Mm. representation of of the character's genuine anxieties around having the child and I did appreciate that Sarah's character you know after the trauma of the car crash when we pick up on her sort of in the status quo is not just kind of portrayed as sad or mopey but that she's like really angry Um, and I really loved that they let that character embrace being in a place of like she's kind of mean to her friends and just like pushing people away Mm -hmm. and I really loved that they let this character be understandably angry and um that was an emotion that i felt like was really honest and fit the the sadness that's underneath the anger yeah i mean what i got from it inside is basically about grief and loss um Mm -hmm. and that it it's a bit more of a a visceral kind of we kind of saw it a little bit in stuff like the babadook but this is a little bit more of like a visceral kind of in your face um exploration of the the bloody journey that is grief and loss basically yeah no i think that's very true because that's that's what we real i picked up with her is that she is grieving uh and that that's the kind of heart of of the journey there and how mm. messy that is um yeah i mean it definitely in the in the third act takes a turn into like you know once once she's getting smacked in the head with a toaster and then <laughs> <laughs> and then creating this kind of like spear with the knife it, it definitely mm. becomes that you know final girl empowered moment yeah. of like she's gonna do battle like a warrior um 
and uh you know it doesn't it doesn't end the way most (laughs) (laughs) most battles do in the slasher but which was also shocking i forgot how the movie ended and was like yeah Yes, because we kind of have that slasher moment where she, so she sets La Femme, the woman, on fire, basically, that which is a real kind of a supernatural horror moment as well. Like we always, you know, in supernatural horrors, it's always like set the monster on fire and you'll be grand. Um, And we think that that might be the end of it, but it's not. Of course, it's never the end. The killers always come back and Sarah has to give birth. and so the woman, spoilers alert, the woman carves the baby out of her. And we see this disgusting corpse of like Sarah's body just flayed wide open. Yeah. And the woman sits down on the rocking chair. And it's such a long shot as well. That end shot is really long. Yes. Yeah. And it, well, and the ending, uh, I don't think we've mentioned what the, what the twist is. Should we? Oh, yes. Yes. Go, twist? go ahead. We do spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, we discover that the La Femme uh, was the other person. She was the driver of the other car that Sarah got into an accident with that killed her um, partner and the, the father of her child. And we find out that La Femme was also pregnant in the car crash, but that she lost her child in the crash. And so that's why she's come to take Sarah's. Um, and so I think that that's connects to what, to what you said about how it being about grief. And it's interesting that mm. in the, in the final moment moments we're kind of we lose our protagonist and we end up with the the antagonist cradling the baby and we're kind of sit in that long shot with her grief mm. it's actually it's a very sad ending um but it connects the two characters through through their grief yeah absolutely um so some of the criticism i saw online of it is that it is there's too much gore and that that kind of clouds the film's narration and subtext. What do you think of that? Do you think all that gore is warranted? I do. I, I, yeah, I don't think that it clouds it for me at least. Um, and I, I think that that's just part of what this film is, which is to just be really messy and in your face and upsetting in that way. Um, that to me is part of the emotional experience and mm. so, and the, and the gore and the, again, like the gore you feel for me, I felt it in my body and I feel like this is a film that's all about bodily experience. So yeah. to me, the gore adds added to the experience, I think. Yeah. I, I think like, I agree with you, but I think for me it was necessary because you, you had to show, how almost animalistic the woman becomes because of her grief, because of her loss. She's she's barely human anymore. She's real, like, basic instincts, animalistic, murderous. Um, she's got no form of human empathy left. She's all about trying to get back what she's lost. And I feel like because she's become this, like, subhuman, that the gore and the the violence is really necessary to symbolize that that's very true yeah that animalistic quality in the end and she literally takes a bite out of her attacker at a certain point it gets to that point of just like visceral Mm. um animalistic quality for sure yeah i mean the 
I'm going to say the only negative thing about this film is I hate the CGI baby. I, I hate it. I, I hate it so much. <laughs> it definitely. I mean, just the sheer fact that it doesn't, the, the special effects look really shoddy. And also it yeah. just doesn't, we don't need to cut away to see that the baby is being jostled inside. It doesn't, it kind of, <laughs> it takes me, takes me out every time they do that shot. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's so funny that we both chose films where they have like special effects babies. One's <laughs> one's practical effects or a possible person in a suit, and the other one is CGI'd. Uh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> that's that's the, the crossover baby versus baby film that nobody yeah. needs. <laughs> <laughs> so would you recommend Inside to horror fans? I definitely would. I think it's a very, uh, to me, it's it's my favorite of the, the, the French extremity wave. Mm. Um it, it was a standout for me that again, because it's nonstop, like there's no breathing room. Um, and it, I, I hesitate to say this, but it's, it's more fun to me than some of the other extreme movies. Yeah. Like, cause there's not, there's not like a, a torture element so much mm. as there is like those pops of sudden violence that are more like shocking. Yeah. Um, and it is more of like a roller coaster or haunted house experience as a result mm. of that. Uh, yeah. And it does ha- pack an emotional punch. I think the ending really, and the twist the first time I saw it really worked for me. That the emotional ending really worked for me. So to me, that mm. makes it makes it worthwhile for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I I really love this film. Um, it's not. It doesn't feel sick and gross for gross sake to you know elicit a shock response it just it just is what it is and i really appreciate that in films yeah so out of the two films if someone said to you i want to watch the goriest film ever tonight that isn't basically illegal um (laughs) (laughs) i mean if you want to get into extreme horror um (laughs) which one out of the two films would you choose to recommend i mean i guess you know, when I think of gore, I think of like, I think of insides on the outside. Uh, yeah. And so for me, I guess Dead Alive has has the most of that. It's just the the most kind of goopy, practical effectsy, uh, yeah, just over the top gore. Um, and I think I I totally agree with what you said about like it's the movie to watch with friends, um, mm. with some beers, and to to laugh and enjoy it. Um, but if you are looking for a more genuinely horrifying terrifying experience than inside would be the the choice yeah i if i had to choose i think i'd definitely choose brain dead slash dead or alive um because it's the one that actually physically makes me gag yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i would like to inflict that on other people yep <laughs> that is, uh, it is a rite of passage for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely um so before we go and just to round out the episode i always ask my guests what is your favorite horror film it's such a good question i feel like my answer changes every time i'm asked uh but that's part of the experience for me uh mm-hmm. so today i i feel like uh the thing is 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 a big one for me um uh-huh it's a film that I've rewatched so many times and it, it fits the theme today for sure of, of the practical effects and the gore and just how absolutely shocking 
it is and continues to be no matter how many times I watch it. Um, I just love it. I love that film. It really um, is a great pairing of like psychological tension, uh, paranoia, and then the outright gore and, and terror of the creature and the gore effects are wonderful. Yeah, it's it's definitely a film I have to rewatch because I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. Mm. Um, but I am going to be forced to go through a John Carpenter marathon at some point by one of my best friends who's like a John Carpenter stan. Um, oh so looking forward to it, yeah. <laughs> I think. <laughs> a, yeah, you're in for some of the deep. I know you just did Prince of Darkness recently, mm. but yeah, there are there are some other deep cuts that are a bit less <laughs> classic. <laughs> I've heard vampires is one of those uh, uh, on the negative scale of John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a bit better than Ghosts of Mars, but, you know, to, to each their own for sure. Of course. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and chatting gross gore with me. Oh, it's the best way to start my day. Thank you for having me. Ingrid. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my chat there with Brian McCauley about gore. And we talked about two horror films that we feel are the epitome of the perfect amount of gore. And that is Brain Dead from 1992, also known as Dead Alive. Um, and we also talked about the French movie Inside from 2007. So what did you think of this week's episode? Are there other horror films that you feel are more deserved of the gore? mantle that we should have discussed i'm sure there is going to be another episode on gore because let's face it it's not really definitive so let me know what you thought of this week's episode what you think of our picks and what your opinion on gore is in horror films are you pro gore are you anti gore are you switzerland like me a bit neutral in the middle um let me know on facebook and instagram at what a scream podcast um or twitter at what underscore scream where to be honest i'm a bit more active um i hope everyone enjoyed the fright fest announcement last week um, that is so exciting. I got my ticket a few anxious minutes, not really knowing what's go going on, but I got it. I did. I got it. And myself and Tim Coleman from the Moving Pictures Film Club podcast, we did an episode, a mini episode for Moving Pics um, about the announcements and the films that are going on in the main screens. So if you would like to check that episode out, you can find that on Moving pictures film club um i hope everyone got their tickets and i'm super excited to meet you all at fright fest i hope everyone's doing okay with this horrific heat wave that's happening i hope you're all staying hydrated sunscreened and all your animals are doing okay um take it from an irish person that we're really not built for this heat i literally went out in the sun for two minutes and I had to come back in from migraine so yes i hope everyone's staying safe um, and as always, stay horrific. Goodbye.